Welcome to the Mindful Banker podcast, hosted by me, Andy Hicks. We interview people who are both successful in the finance industry and who look after their well-being. Today, we are joined by Nick Edwards, who is a top-ranked analyst at the world's largest independent investment bank, Lazard, and subsequently worked at two London-based hedge funds. A year ago, he left the finance industry to co-fund Archform, a business which aims to make the music industry work better for independent artists. We talk about what it took for him to become a top-ranked analyst and why he left, despite his success, the difficulty in being yourself in certain work environments, the sacrifices he's made to start his own business, and what advice he would give to someone entering investment banking now. We also talk about escaping the treadmill of life and finding happiness and meaning. So, welcome Nick to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So, let's start with why did you decide to get into the finance industry? Yeah, interesting question because I actually started off studying music at uni and I was a, a, like a choral scholar, so I was a singer as well. Um, Which university was it? It's at uh, Cambridge. And um, so I started off studying the music course and it was just as my singing wasn't going so well after the first year. Um, I was feeling quite down about music as a career and uh, I thought, well, I did a lot of maths and physics at school, so what course can I change to that will give me some good job opportunities? And so I changed to economics. So when you say the music wasn't going so well, you mean Mm. you weren't doing so well at it or you were just thinking, how am I ever going to make a living doing this? Yeah, well, sort of both. So I wanted to be a singer when I joined sort of the university and... The singing wasn't going well, I was a bit demoralised and I was thinking, well, maybe this isn't the right thing. So I'll sort of, <laughs> I want to say give in to pressure from the family, but that's probably unfair. But, you know, I, I, I will, um, I'll do economics with the view that it will give me a good pros- prospect in whatever sort of career path I choose afterwards. Had your family been a bit dubious about you doing music? Um, not, no, it's probably unfair, not dubious, but I felt a pressure from somewhere that, um, you know, I feel like you're on a treadmill a lot of the time at school. So, you know, you get, why do you get good GCSEs? It's to get good A-levels. Why do you get good A-levels? To get to a good university. Why do you get to a good university? Oh, to get a good job. And it was that piece, I think, it was that pressure. Stay on the treadmill because you've got to keep chasing something. And then as soon as it all stops and you think, or if you pause and you think like, oh, am I happy with where I am right now? Quite often it's like, well, no, not really. Or if I've achieved all of these things, so what? Does that make me happy? Yeah. Not necessarily. So I think stepping off the treadmill in terms of that career path has been quite an interesting experience. (laughs) So it sounds like you're saying that it's the idea that happiness and fulfillment is just around the corner. Yeah. All the time. Exactly. Whenever you get onto the next stage, it's a little bit further. Exactly. I sacrifice my happiness now because it will be worth it in a few months, two years, 10 years, 20 years. Whereas now it sounds like you're saying that you're actually able to be happy today, now. Yeah, I think so. That's a key difference. I think more living in the, you know, obviously you've got to think about the future to an extent, but more living in the now and the present. So what, so it's easier to be mindful doing this work Mm. that you're doing, whereas before you're so future focused, yeah. it's hard to live in the present moment. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. And studying music was in a way stepping off the treadmill. I think so, yeah. 
I think so. It's into the unknown a little bit. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting because I think it's it's a common story that people have something else mm. that they were actually more interested in at yeah. school or at university, but they chose the economics path because because of some sort of internal yeah. or external pressure yeah. that made them think actually this will be a better yeah. career path. This will be. Yeah, and it's hard to say where that pressure comes from. I think it's sort of a myriad of external factors, but whatever it was for me, that pressure was there. So I ended up studying economics, and I did my first internship at um, a finance firm, a sort of broker in 2012, and I got my first job in 2013 working at Lazard as an analyst in their uh, restructuring team, so part of the investment banking division. And did you enjoy studying economics? I did enjoy parts of it, definitely. I have quite. I enjoyed studying maths at school, and it was problem based, and um, a lot of it was interesting, especially when you got to third year and you sort of choose your own courses and get more into the. I certainly got more into the political history aspect of it, as well as the mathsy stuff. And I did, yeah, I did enjoy the course um, in a slightly different way to how I enjoyed music. But I was still, I was able to keep the music going at the same time in terms of practical music making and studying economics as well. So once you switched, it felt like this is a good decision, I am getting something out of this. I think at the time, yeah. Was it difficult to get into this this company, Lazard? Yeah, I mean, you have to go through, God, the, you know, graduates have to apply to, I don't know, you go through a multi-stage process for a number of different companies that you apply to, and they might be accountancy firms, investment banks, consultancies, and you hope that something sticks. And I was lucky that I had a sort of good process with Lazard, I had a couple of good interviews and relatively early on I got this job and Lazard was sort of pretty well known as a decent place to get good training as an analyst. Um, and did you have any family or friends who were in the industry that could sort of help you get into the industry or was it not so much? You didn't no. need that? You Well, I, I, did, I just didn't have anyone who was working in the, that part of the, the industry. My mum's a lawyer but she doesn't really, it's, it's quite separate. So. Um, yeah, so I just went through the normal process. So for you, the path of being doing economics at Cambridge just made it quite easy for you to then get the job in finance. Yeah, I, well, it was it was easy to a degree, <laughs> but yeah, no, I was really I was really I remember being really happy when I got the job offer, and I was sort of it was like the culmination of that few years of hard work. So, what were your kind of hopes and expectations at that point when you just got the job offer? I don't really know. I don't, I don't think I've really, I hadn't done an internship in investment banking. I didn't really know what to expect. I just knew that this was like something to be desired, like a great job that would pay well. And I was like, oh yeah, next bit on the treadmill, checked off. You know, <laughs> like next rung of the ladder, achieved tick. I went to a good university, got a good job. You know, this is what everyone's been telling me for the last 21 years of my life or 22 years of my life. Uh, this is what it's all been for. So great. And so I imagine you felt very proud. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was it like? What was it like working there? Um, it was fairly, fairly brutal, I would say. I found it quite tough. I'm not particularly good at it. You know, investment bank has sort of layers and layers and layers of managing director, director, um, vice president, associate analyst. And so you've got loads of stuff pouring down. And, you know, it's a kind of culture where you might not have anything to do in the day and... At 7pm a load of work gets dumped on your desk and you're there till 2-3am and then the next morning you have to be in for 8 or 9 again. And I was still living with my parents this time in the suburbs so I'd get a sort of 45 minute taxi home. So you know sometimes you were getting 4 hours sleep a night fairly regularly. Had A couple of times had to pull the infamous all-nighters 
wow. as well, where you just sat at your desk and same shirt. Oh no, change of, maybe a change of shirt for the morning. All the way through. All the way through. Yeah, no sleep. So how were you able to do anything useful the next day? You weren't really, it was, it's a really interesting, it sort of stifles a lot of um, that environment. I think when you're low down, you're just basically putting together presentations, a bit of a number cruncher. And it stifles creativity for sure, but a lot of the work doesn't necessarily require that. It's certainly not an efficient way to work, but I think it's, you know, it's the way they get the most out of you. And maybe, you know, maybe the reason the industry can afford to pay, one of the reasons the industry can afford to pay high salaries, is because you work out your hourly, hourly rate, it's pretty, pretty low. <laughs> So yeah, even though even though the overall salary can be very high, the number of hours you're putting in, yeah, makes it not quite so good. And I'm I'm also not good at taking um, like orders from people that mm. are sort of not where it doesn't feel collaborative, mm. and it feels like you're just at the bottom of a sort of people shoveling shit, and you're right at the bottom. No, I no. found a real I had real issue with with having no freedom, no control over my life. You know, to the point where. Uh, you'd go away on holiday if you'd be working on holiday, or you could get you could get holiday cancelled because someone's decided actually we do need to pitch for this thing. A pitch, not even actual client work. I think maybe it's changed a little bit since then, but that certainly was the vibe when I was there. And no scope for asking why do I have to do this? Is this actually important? Is this actually essential? Yeah, yeah. You just again the treadmill comes back, but you know it's like this is this is what this industry is. You know you've you've made a decision. This is the industry. Get on with it. Can you say any more about what your lifestyle was like while you were there? Oh, it was fairly awful. I mean, at the time I didn't realise, but you know, some of my friends said subsequently after I left my first job, they were like, well, you just became a different person. I think a low point was probably <laughs> when I hesitant to uh, admit this, but... <laughs> You know, it got, to, it got to the point where I would, I would book out a meeting room so I could just go upstairs and, and uh, have, a, have a little cry to myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, really? oh, my yeah, for 15 minutes because you have to let out this, you have to let out the emotion somehow. Yeah. And it's not, the environment is not at all, it wasn't particularly supportive in that sense. Yeah. So it was like, if you, if you were finding it tough, you deal with it. Wow. And so <laughs> I used wow. to, a couple of times I booked a, a particularly frustrating deals. I was so just wound up with the whole thing and like frustrated. I maybe I'd, it maybe was like the tipping point. I'd lost the weekend that I thought I was going to have or I had a trip cancelled or something. And so I'm like, right, <laughs> book a meeting room and go upstairs and just, you know, have a, have a, have a little cry. Wow. Yeah. That's happened to me at work before as well. Like just really? broken down to tears with yeah. frustration. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the unhealthy thing, I think, is not necessarily feeling that but being unable to express it. Yeah. Um, so I left that job. But can can I, I just ask what made you feel like you couldn't express what you were feeling? It just not the the environment was not. Everyone you, you could see everyone else around you. It was quite a testosterone filled macho environment, maybe, maybe, maybe not as much as other banks, but it was just. No one was talking about it. I don't think. And if you look up, you know, people senior to you. If no one is showing those emotions or talking about those things, then it's like, well, you know, I, I'm, in this, I'm in this junior role, I can't bring this up, you know, I've just got to deal with it. Suck it up. Yeah, suck it up, which I never do now. You know, if, if, if someone, it's funny how, I think you can get taken advantage of, especially as a young analyst, because 
You don't know any better. And it seems much more scary. If now someone told me to do some of the stuff that they were telling me to do, I, I, I'm sorry, this can wait till Monday. Or, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Just, it's like, this doesn't need to be done right now. Part of probably maybe the reason I'm not in the banking industry anymore. <laughs> Too much of a rebel. Yeah. Or not, well, back then I wasn't. No. So what kept you from speaking up then? Is it, it, you, you said that you wouldn't show emotion because the people mm. further up would well, they weren't showing emotion yeah what stopped you questioning or challenging them it was this like tacit it's it's sort of similar to it's like this tacit agreement between everyone that this is just what the industry is and everyone knew what they were you know that they, they were they were good directors who you could speak to about it and they were you know think of one guy in particular who was great and you could, you know, if you had a good relationship with your senior person, then they would understand, they would be understanding. But there were some who were just like, well, I went through, probably I went through that. Mm. They can go through it, although arguable if they went through it in the 80s, it was anything like as bad. But, um, yeah, there's just, you know, it was just a sort of tacit acceptance of this is what the industry is like. No questioning of many things, but that sort of emotional environment was, was just accepted. And when you said you when when your friends said you're like a different person, what did they mean? I think just you know, sort of it <laughs> bleeds the personality out of you a little bit. So you lose your sense of. I lost my sense of humour. Was tired all the time. Wasn't as outgoing. Um, sort of hard to feel the 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 joy in life. <laughs> God, this <laughs> yeah. all sounds really dramatic, but I'm sure it wasn't quite as dramatic. But this is what this is. You know my defining memory of yeah. of that time um, was there so, anything good about working there yeah I mean you work with a bunch of really talented people on some amazing sort of high profile transactions um, and yeah you, you know you make, if you make friends maybe and you go through a lot together the good thing I guess about the banks which was different to the hedge funds is that you have a class of people who are going through the exactly the same thing as you. So there were, I don't know, maybe 20 analysts in our class. And we were all going through the same thing. So there's a sort of collegiate type environment where you can all empathise with each other. And I think within the analysts, there is a certain amount of talking about, um, you know, within your own class, you can talk about how hard you're being worked or, you know, you're finding this tough or something. But as a junior coming in, the idea that, you know, you come into this sort of like scary, big, firm, this sort of blue chip firm, and you've got very senior, very important looking people. The idea that you could raise something that, you know, talk about something that isn't talked about or change things is, is, is sort of, I think, not even an option at that stage. It doesn't even occur to you. No. And despite finding it so exhausting and difficult and unpleasant, you became a top ranked analyst there. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I mean, I, I was, you know, I think I was good at my job. It's part of the reason I managed to, I was one of the first to leave. I think a lot of people work in banking for the minimum amount of time and then try and get out to work at private equity or a hedge fund or something like that. Is quite often the route that people take. Just like put up with an awful two, three years. And then you could leave and go to a, um, somewhere where the work is just as interesting, more interesting, I'd argue, but the work-life balance is maybe a bit better. So I was at Lazard for just under 18 months. And then I joined a hedge fund, uh, or a sort of big asset manager credit fund called Blue Bay. 
What do you think helped to make you a top-ranked analyst? Oh, God. I don't know. I think um, you have to be a good number cruncher and good at doing the work, but you also have to get on with people, have a good attitude. Despite everything I'm saying, I was always friendly and positive on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get on with your bosses. You have to be constantly... Not a yes, yes person, but, you know, like... Agreeable. Yeah, agreeable and just, you know, a positive outlook and... Um, to the extent you can be um, proactive, I guess, yeah. So you decided to leave just because you wanted a better work-life balance, was that it? That was the main thing. I couldn't stand it by the end. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, I was like, this is just not what, you know, I'm I'm of the belief that you get one shot at life on earth. (laughs) I don't know, because it doesn't get much better for a long time. And even when you're very senior, I think you're quite often sacrificed a lot. Yeah which some people are willing to put up with for a great salary. And if you work in banking, it, it, it can be very rewarding economically. But I was just like, well, let's try a different part of the industry where actually you can get paid the same, if not more, and the work-life balance is probably better. And working for Lazard helped you to make that? Definitely, yeah. You, I think quite often the, it's quite rare for hedge funds or private equity maybe unless they're very big, to hire graduates. So they will want you to be trained in a bank. <laughs> Initiated. <laughs> so you've done your initiation, and yeah. what was it like then working in a hedge fund? Better, yeah. Smaller team, more responsibility. You're given much more autonomy in terms of you have to take a view, which is what I really like. So mm-hmm. you have to pitch to a team. Do we like this investment? Do we not like this investment? Why? You've got to convince people. You're less beholden to clients, so you have investors in the fund, but you're pretty autonomous. Um, so I enjoyed the work a lot more at the hedge funds, for sure. And you didn't just get something dumped on you at 7pm? or less, less of that. You still work pretty hard, especially in the first, the first fund I went to, the hours were quite, could be quite long, but nothing like banking. Yeah. And was it more satisfying? Did you enjoy it more? I did, yeah. I definitely enjoyed it more. Especially the, the last hedge fund I was at, um, where we would do all sorts of things from startup investments to, uh, you know, investments in big capital structures. It was, it was sort of a distressed hedge fund that had the flexibility to invest wherever it wanted to. So you could sort of market-based, but then also private investments, and mainly in Europe, but a real sort of um, flexible approach, which was nice. And a great team, really lovely team. Made a difference. So the the last place I ended up before I before I left finance altogether, the people there were really really lovely, and it was a really collegiate, close knit team, which helped a lot. So I feel like interestingly, if I had stayed in finance, that would have been the place I stayed. I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. So when you were at the hedge funds, mm-hmm. do you feel like you had a decent work life balance? Were you exercising? Were you looking after your well being? What was that like? It was better for sure. Yeah, especially. My last job, where there was a gym in the office and it was quite, you know, the, one of the sort of founding partners was very focused on like fitness and the working, the, I think the most important thing was the working hours were much more predictable. So you worked hard, you probably worked 12 hour days, up to 12 hour days, but you knew that you would get most weekends off and it was fairly regular, predictable work, which helps. Because then you can plan things, you know, you can plan things around work. You can, you can go on holiday or you can go to the gym before work or after work, whatever. 
So I felt more like myself. Your sense of humour came back a bit? A bit. <laughs> yeah. Argue, I don't know people might, <laughs> people might argue with that, but, <laughs> but I felt like it did. Um, yeah. <laughs> and did, did that feel sustainable to you, working 12-hour days? Yeah, five days a week, I feel like I could, could have, that was, a, that was a sustainable, could have been a sustainable career path, I think. And how did you see people behaving around you? Was, did it feel very sort of competitive and cutthroat, or were people more sort of cooperative and friendly? At the last place I worked, more cooperative. There was an amount of, one of the funds I worked at, there was an amount of um, ownership over deals. And like, uh, less, I think, less so at my last place, but you know, the first fund I worked for, there was definitely, the, the cutthroat, it was, it was quite an aggressive male testosterone fueled investment committee. So it'd be like quite, when, that's where you sort of like debate whether you want to do an investment or not, at what terms, you know. And it was led by quite a nice guy, but who was very sort of old school in his approach and like um, aggressive sort of masculine um, approach. All male investment team, obviously. Um, as was my last place, actually. Another, another issue in the industry, which yeah. probably don't have time to go into, but um, what was I saying? Yeah, it's, um, there was an amount of competitive ownership over whose investment was what, whose, whose relationship was, you know, it's all about sourcing investments, especially as you get more senior, who sourced that investment, who's bringing in the investments, or who's bringing in investors' money into the fund. But certainly a lot more collaborative than my, my first job, for sure. Felt more part of a, an equal-ish team. Hmm. And would you describe yourself as successful as a hedge fund? I think so, yeah. I think people like work with me, I think. What do you call it, a hedge fund manager? Yeah, I was an investment analyst. Uh -huh. So you had the, my last job, you had a couple of founding partners and then investment analysts. So were them. you as successful as a hedge fund analyst as you were at Hazard? I like to think I was better as an analyst at a hedge fund because I wasn't afraid to give my view and I was able to give my view. And that's why I like, you know, debating things with people is quite fun and so that's interesting so that well. not only did you feel more able to be yourself sort of socially but mm. in terms of work you're able to be more yourself mm. give more of your opinion which meant that you could give more in your work and yeah. do a better job yeah so there is something that is massively lost to to the detriment of the company when people feel like they can't be themselves at work I think so. It depends what you're recruiting for. I felt like at Lazard they were just recruiting people often to just, but you know, they said they were recruiting people who we think can be partners. But I think anyone with, that's probably unfair, but a lot of people who maybe weren't just sort of number crunches, head down, and did want to think a little differently about things, and who may have been better in a senior role further down the line, were forced out by that by that approach of not being able to be yourself, not being able to express views and like, this is how it's done and just keep quiet and head down and maybe in 20 years time we'll talk if you have any ideas. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be really willing to, to suck it up and, and suppress yourself. Yeah. For a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt like, even in my last job a little bit, just in little things like in terms of the way you dress or what you talk about in terms of your social life or your political views or anything, I think you, there's a certain type of person and a certain accepted 
know, it was fairly casual in my last fund, but um, lots of little things you have to conform to, which is part of the reason I left the industry. Mm. So you were in a, a good team, you were mm. being paid well, you yep. were successful, you had a decent work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So why did you leave? Good question. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think I still felt like I couldn't quite be myself. I felt like I didn't quite have full control over what I wanted to do. I felt like I wasn't necessarily doing anything apart from moving money around. I wasn't creating anything. I wasn't building anything. You know, this is, God, this might sound insufferably millennial, so stop me if it does. But you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't want to say making a difference because I'll jump out that window. But um, you know what I mean? Just sort of doing my, doing my own thing and creating something that I want to do and doing it on my own terms um, in an industry that I'm really interested in, always have been, has been quite close to my heart. So I definitely think it's one of our, our deepest needs as humans is to feel we are contributing mm, in some way, that we're yeah. making a difference in some way. I don't think it's just a, a, a meaningless cliche. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was it really, you know, it was, it was sort of, you give up security and a great wage. Um, and, but you, and that's it, a huge thing that stops people mm, from doing what you've done. So well, what, and what, I was lucky to have worked in an industry where I could build up a big pot of savings and I have the financial security to, to try this. Um, so that was, a, that was a big factor in you being able to make the leap because a lot of people don't save any money yeah. even though they are earning yeah. a very good wage they end up spending it all yeah no I've, I've, I'm in a very fortunate position and I guess that's the good thing about working in the finance industry for even only five or six years is that you um, can build up that an amount of financial security at least for the short term but not everyone does you must have had a certain discipline to put it away I saved almost not almost everything but I saved well over half of what I earned but again, being able to do that is crazy for some people. Save half of what you earn? How much do you earn? Yeah. Unless, you know, it's, it's, this is, yeah, the thing with the finance industry. But did, uh, did it take discipline for you to do that? Did you see other people around you doing something similar? Did it, did it feel like there's a culture of just spend, spend, spend? Or? Uh, I guess it did take discipline. Um, I don't think I was ever around particularly flashy people. And, you know, my, my, so my mum, I'm half Indian, my mum is was an immigrant to this country, very sort of Indian, head down work ethic, you know, and save, and don't be extravagant. You know, I think her parents, and she, she came here with almost nothing, and her dad retrained as a lawyer, she trained as a lawyer, and it was all about saving and building a life, you know, see how something's passing to your kids, is her, is her view, and I think that sort of permeated down to me. So it didn't feel like it was particularly difficult to do. Hmm. Um, and I'm glad I did do it <laughs> because now I'm earning substantially less at the moment. But um, yeah, very happy. I'm very happy I made the move. Now, how do you how do you feel about that? Because I think being this position of of, of having great insecurity, even if you do have savings, I think the people are terrified about this. They they carried on doing jobs that they mm. know they don't like because they don't want to be in your position of like, mm. I don't know where my neck, you know, I don't know how much you're going to earn this month. So how do you feel being in this position? It brings with it a different set of pressures. 
but interestingly, I've say I haven't been happier in my job. Or I've never been happier yeah. with. I I can be myself and do what I want to do now. Um, it has meant a, a bit of a lifestyle change, but the expectation or the hope is that it becomes a successful thing what you're trying to do, and it's a successful thing of completely your own doing and your own creation under your own terms. Hmm. So it's worth it. It's worth the hope. So yeah, we'll <laughs> see. Risk. We'll see. It's a big risk, but yeah, we'll see. And what is it you're building? So, it's a new music company. I started with uh, with a friend who has a background in the music industry. I've known him for a while, and um, it's essentially a music company that's aimed at helping independent artists or more independent artists make a living from their music by giving them the infrastructure, the tools to market and release and manage their music in the way that a record label might. So, we're sort of like a record label for new artists, but we've got some some bigger plans, <laughs> which I won't go into uh, too much now. But it's all yeah, it's all um, it's all quite exciting. It's essentially trying to make the music industry more like any normal job, have more people living off their art and the work they make, not earning maybe millions and millions, but you know, earning a wage or earning an amount from their music that's contributing meaningfully, connecting fans directly with musicians artists rather yeah. than having the industry in the middle deciding who hears what. So you're trying to cut out the middlemen? To an extent. To an extent. I think providing more choice, more options for independent musicians. There's some who always want to sign to a label because it's great and a label will open doors and it's like that. There's definitely a romantic notion, notion of a label in the industry still. Um, but it's providing artists, it's a, part of a trend that we're seeing now, providing independent artists with more and more tools at their disposal so they can make that choice themselves. And how's it going so far? Really well, yeah. Um, making good progress. It's sort of, <laughs> you know, with a startup you have these like five crazy highs in one week and then six crushing lows <laughs> in the same week. But, but no, it's going well. We're, we're releasing music and we're sort of building these tools, starting to look at building these tools. So, yeah, feeling positive about it. You're releasing music now? Mm. Great. Yeah, yeah. Look out for it. Inco Upendo. <laughs> How can people... I'm not sure if I'm allowed to advertise on this. Like, probably. Yeah, of course you are. That's <laughs> <laughs> not the BBC. <laughs> so, uh, how can people find this music? Uh, they can find us at um, archform.limited. is our okay. website. The, the company's called Archform, A-R-C-H-F-O-R-M. We're on Instagram. Our first signing, our first artist called Inca Upendo. She's a um, Finnish woman now living in Falmouth, produces this really cool electronic music. And, um, and, and then how do people access it through the website? Is it something they download? Is it Yeah, you can, stream, you, you can find her on, through our website on Instagram. You can stream her music. She's got a few live gigs coming up if you live in the UK. You can find her on Spotify, Apple Music. She's released, just released a music video last week, actually, her first music video, which is great. It's on YouTube. Um, so all the normal ways you would find music, find and listen to music, you can, you can find her. So now have you completely left behind the finance industry? Do you have any, do you dabble anymore? Um, I, still talk, I still talk to my friends in the industry and I'm still sort of... I do some bits and pieces of work here and there, but I'm very much focused on 
Archform and the music industry and what we're looking to do. Um, could I rule out going back to finance with 100% certainty? Probably not 100%, but I, you know, I'm not looking back, basically. Uh-huh. I don't regret my decision for a moment. Um, again, it comes back to, you've got one life, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. So if you were to advise someone, perhaps going back to the, in the toughest situations that you've worked in um, when you first began at Lazard, how, what would you advise them in order to, to sort of be mindful, to look after their well-being while they're there mm. in that very challenging environment? What, how, how would you advise them to, to look after themselves? Mm. It's interesting. Well-being. I think it's, it's hard as a, you know, if you're a junior, it's quite difficult because there are little things you can do that, you know, just you can find time to take the time and realise the world is not going to end if that pitch book arrives two hours later. Um, your boss is not going to think terribly of you if you raise with them that actually you're overworked. Or, I won't be able to do this on time. Um, a more open conversation, I guess, um, with your peers and with the people that you're working for. So finding ways to be a little bit more honest, even though it's challenging. Yeah, I think so. I think the industry is going that way. It's been a while since I've worked in banking, banking. But I feel like I've heard even even at places like Lazard, they are much more aware of, you know, the mental health and physical health of, of junior employees. Um, so hopefully that's a trend that will continue. I hope so too. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Banker podcast. You can support our mission to improve well-being in the finance sector by rating and sharing it. If you're interested in one-to-one coaching or in team sessions on topics like resilience, stress management and productivity, please do get in touch.